This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Progressive presents an interview with your upstairs neighbor. Hi, I'm Tia. The upstairs-downstairs neighbor dynamic is so special. We have our own language. Like when I scream at my mom on the phone, the people downstairs bang on the ceiling to show their support. The nighttime's the best time to rearrange furniture. I call it midnight feng shui. And if I sleep through my alarm in the morning, they bang on my door to wake me. So thoughtful. Progressive can't save you from your upstairs neighbor, but we can save you money when you bundle renters and auto insurance with us. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris at 708-478-6090 and Mariska's in Crest Hill. Family owned and operated since 1933. Let's drop the puck. Welcome to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast with NBCChicago.com's James Navo. It's not even so much me as it's Ronick. He's good. And 670 The Score's hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. You don't play this game with a big heart and a big bag of knuckles in front of the net. You don't got dinky do. Welcome into the one edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Jay and I never look forward to the last one after the postseason ends. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago. With me, as always, is the one, the only, Jay Zawoski. Jay, we've had a few days to kind of process what kind of went wrong for the Blackhawks. We've already kind of had our airing of grievances, if you want to call it that, after uh, the Game 3 loss. Um, a couple days after the kind of the pain of it has kind of faded away, what's... Uh, I mean, what, what's kind of your mindset right now about the Blackhawks a couple of the days after their uh, season came to an end? Well, you know, I was feeling angry about things uh, for a couple of days after, and I know you were too. And uh, you and I are two guys who try to be level-headed, try to be as unemotional as we can. Even though we're admitted fans, uh, we try our best to be unemotional when we are analyzing the Hawks. I was not finding the anger going away. I was not finding the meatballness going away from me. And I finally felt better. When I saw Stan Bowman feeling the same way I was this weekend. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen him that way before. Uh, It was kind of cool to see that he cares so much. And he's always been the voice of reason, the voice of calm, the voice of, uh, you know, just sort of, well, you know, nothing's a big deal. Nothing's, there's nothing we can't overcome. It's just, we'll make some tweaks here and there. No, he was fired up, pissed off. And I think, I'm curious, and I'm wondering this from our listeners if they want to email us at uh, madhousepod at gmail.com. Those of you that were sort of on the fence about Bowman, does his, you know, anger and his fury this weekend make you change your mind about him a little bit? Because I think a lot of guys thought he was kind of soft, kind of weak. Well, he shit-canned Mike Kitchen (laughs) this this afternoon. Uh, There's a story on Puck Daddy that Joel Quenville's not too happy about it. Too bad. Don't get swept. Then you can keep your coaches around. Um... So I like this sort of assassin Stan Bowman. I'm really anxious to see uh, and excited to see what sort of moves he's going to make uh, during this offseason. I mean, really, 
with the way he was talking, nothing would surprise me short of Taves or Kane getting traded. Uh, two things I wanted to mention. One, it was, uh, I believe, Christopher Hine of the Chicago Sun-Times, or sorry, the Chicago Tribune, I believe, had the story that Joel Quenville was irritated. I think it was his report Got initially. It. I saw it on Puck Daddy. Someone was reading it to me while I was eating. Uh, yes, it was, it was Christopher Hine, so kudos to him. That was a really a really good scoop by him. Um, the one thing I wanted to say about it is I kind of echo your sentiments where like change is going to happen if you get swept in the playoffs and lose in the first round for the second year in a row. I think we all kind of know that. It's the reality of the business, I guess. But I think maybe just a little part of it. Like, just, this is just me kind of spitballing here. You could take this opinion for what it's worth. I, I honestly think that Joel Quenville maybe is doing a little bit of public posturing here through the media to kind of... Um, say that he has like his assistants back you know like he he didn't want to like just take it laying down and just be like well he'll turn on you when the times get tough or whatever I think there might be a little bit of gamesmanship here with Quenville I don't know if you would agree with that or not but that was kind of the the first initial vibe that I got when they made the decision today to relieve Kitchen of his duties and then the second thought that I had while I was reading the story about them actually doing it is that I feel like it's a really good indicator that there are problems with the team's approach that they are willing to address and fix because I think for a long time now, Joe Quenville has kind of earned the benefit of the doubt with fans, with front office, with whoever, based on the fact that the team has had all of the success that they've had. Now, the issue that I have is that the penalty kill and the defense, which Mike Kitchen is tasked with monitoring and with coaching has been really bad the last two seasons and so I feel like this was a move that in basically any organization that you would see this is a move that you have to make because you need to improve in those areas you have the players here that can help you in those areas and I really do think that kind of a fresh approach a fresh perspective I think a penalty kill is one of those things that you can kind of coach up, that you can use technique to overcome any deficiencies maybe in skill. It's one of those things that if you find enough guys who are willing to do it, willing to grind, willing to do the work, I, I think that it, it can function well. And I think that Mike Kitchen, maybe his message started getting lost on the players a little bit. And I think that honestly, in the end, it's the right move. And I think Joel Quenville probably deep down knows that, but he also wanted to make sure that to other assistants that he might hire here that he's got your back in struggles with management. That's with interesting. Ownership. I hadn't really thought of it as Quenville protecting his guy. Um, could be. It could be. I you know I, I think that on the other hand, and I'm not saying this is what it is, I'm just, if we're going to play devil's advocate here, as you did, I'm going to do the other side. Could this be a power play from Sam Bowman saying, look, uh, you're my coach for now, but I'm just showing you that one more slip up and you're going to be the one that's next. I'm chopping off your right-hand man. You got Kevin Deneen for now, if he doesn't get hired uh, by one of the vacancies this offseason, uh, and you're going to make do with it. And Kitchen's gone, regardless of how you feel about him. It could go either way. Uh, it could be a little bit of both. Um, but changes definitely had to be made. We all knew it. I think Joel Quenville knew it. Stan Bowman clearly knew it because he said so. And this is just sort of the first one to go. Now, talking about change and talking about the message wearing out, um, I've been reading 
the new book by Tom Verducci. It's called The Cubs Way. And I was uh, I just got the book yesterday, so I'm uh, on chapter three. But uh, a couple pages into chapter two, something got my attention here. Uh, it's it's a, t- a chapter about Theo Epstein and his thoughts about departing the Red Sox while he was there. Um, so this is an excerpt from Tom Verducci's book. It says, several factors began to push Epstein further away emotionally from the Red Sox. Epstein read a book by Hall of Fame football coach Bill Walsh that summer in which Walsh wrote that the voice of a coach or executive turned stale after about a decade with one organization. Quote, he talked about it as a sports executive, but it applied to almost any situation in a leadership role, Epstein said, that it benefits not only the individual, but also the institution to seek change every 10 years. And I've seen it with managers or coaches and other sports leaders. The same message or the same voice tends to get tuned out a little bit just by human nature. So it's impossible to have the same originality, same creativity, same freshness. It's impossible to look at things with an open lens. You start to close your your lens based on your successes and failures a little bit. I thought that was really, really interesting. And I'm not a guy who's uh, who's saying to fire Joel Quenville by any means, but I think there's some truth to this. It's not even intentional. It's not even uh, the player saying, we don't like Q anymore. But I think when you hear the same thing over and over and, and, and things maybe aren't working the way you want them to personally or team-wise, um, maybe that message does get lost a little bit after a while. And Joel Quenville now entering his 10th season Maybe his expiration date is about to hit for the Hawks. Yeah, uh, Joel Quenville entering his uh, tenth season with the team. Um, Stan Bowman is entering his ninth season as the GM of the team. Remember, he uh, became the GM after the '09 off season when Dale Talon screwed up the fax uh, machine. Um, it it, it, is, it does a very interesting theory that you have, and as soon as you brought up the Theo Epstein thing. I instantly was like, wait, how many years has Joel Quenville been with the Blackhawks? And sure enough, he got hired in 2008, and he had originally gotten hired as an assistant. Kind of, It was almost like what happened with Mike Yo, where Mike Yo like, got hired, and at least St. Louis said, you know, this guy is the coach in waiting. Do you think there is any chance at all that the Blackhawks are looking around right now and they're thinking to themselves, who could we hire that if we wanted to pull the trigger and replace Joel, if the Blackhawks get off to a rough start next season, do you think there's any way they'd be willing to add a coach like that to the staff? Or do you think that Kevin Deneen maybe is already like that and maybe that's why he hasn't left? Ooh, that, see, that's something I hadn't that. considered, the Kevin Deneen angle. That's interesting. Now, the one guy I sort of thought would be, as I was sort of, I don't know, just thinking, you always think in the future as an analyst, um, Gerard Gallant, who was just hired by the uh, Vegas Golden Knights, that was sort of the guy who I saw as a guy that could potentially um, replace him. Now that that's done, now that he's been hired by Vegas, there was no one that really came to mind as, well, this guy, you know, like Daryl Sutter. You want to redo Daryl Sutter? No. You know, it's it, I the don't. problem with the NHL is everyone's sort of a retread. Everyone's sort of a rehash. Ted Dent, who's a coach of right. Rockford, probably is not ready for the NHL yet. Maybe you see him hired as an assistant for next year, and they try to prepare him for an NHL head coaching job. But the Kevin Deneen thing is interesting, Um, and I think it will say a lot if he sticks around this summer. There's going to be some openings. He's going to be a candidate for several of them, as he has in the past. 
Uh, I wonder if maybe he is holding out to replace Quenville if he is fired or if Q just says, hey, I've already accomplished everything I'm going to accomplish. Uh, I'm going to walk away, step away from the game, and leave it to somebody else. Maybe Kevin Denny knows he's that guy. Yeah, like that, that to me, I think that would be a much more feasible plan of attack for naming the next head coach of the Blackhawks if it ends up coming to that than, say, going kind of outside the mainstream and going outside of the coaches that have been fired and are in other places right now. Because, I mean, you you can talk all you want about Coach Montgomery from University of Denver. His name keeps coming up in connection with the Florida Panthers job. And I think eventually he's going to get a shot because of the NHL-style program that he runs. But I don't see the Blackhawks doing that when they know that their championship window is probably very limited. I don't see them going with a college coach. I think it's a lot more likely they would go with a guy who has NHL experience already, which would make a guy like Daryl Sutter make sense, or a guy like Kevin Deneen would make sense. This all, by the way, is total conjecture. <laughs> yes. We It's not like Jay or I have sources telling us that, no, oh, Joel Quenville's on the verge of being fired or anything like that. It's just a, it's a fair thing to speculate. You're like, yeah, Joel Quenville has won three Stanley Cups, but he's also gotten his team knocked out of the first round of the playoffs two years in a row, including once by a sweep when they were the top seed. So it's a reasonable thing to say if the Blackhawks get off to a rough start next season, if they're kind of floundering outside of the playoff picture in December, you, you may pull the trigger on them because, quite frankly, the Los Angeles Kings – pulled the trigger on Daryl Sutter for missing the playoffs two years in a row is losing in the first round two years in a row and then getting off to a rough start in the third year. Would that be equivalent to that in your eyes and make Joel Quinville? Well, to me, that would say if, if the team gets out to a slow start after what they said this weekend about how embarrassed they were and how it's ridiculous and how they're all going to sort of recommit in the off season. If they come out and, and start off, you know, hockey's weird when you say 500, but if they're you know somewhere between half and half wins and losses and overtime losses, um, I think it is something to consider. And and you know I said this a couple weeks ago. Once I saw Brandon Saad traded, I didn't think Sam Bowman was there was nothing that he would do that would surprise me. That was the thing that absolutely blew me away. That was the thing I thought he would never do, and he did it. So um, if they get off to a really slow start next year, maybe twenty thirty games in, like you said, I could see it considered again though. We're way ahead of ourselves. There's more. St we're getting too far yeah. ahead because we have things to talk about this summer. Joel Quenville is going to be the head coach starting next year. It's the right thing to do, in my opinion. I just think you, you got to start being conscious oh, of that 10-year um, expiration date on Q. And uh, I think they are. I think they're aware of it. And I think my opinion is this firing of Mike Kitchen is a signal to Joel Quenville saying, hey, uh, if, it does, if it doesn't work next year, you could be looking for a new job or, or retirement. And I'll go ahead and take the stance that this is merely acknowledging the existence of a problem for the last couple of years and a step to address it and fix it, more so than message sending. So I guess you and I are kind of looking at it in different ways, but you know what? I think both of them have equal validity as far as I'm concerned. They could both, they both could be true. It just, it all depends on what's going on behind the scenes and, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the summer shakes out because I think it'll tell us a lot about where exactly the Blackhawks kind of mentality is right now when it comes to the you know the hierarchy of leadership with the team 
I want to tell our listeners about our friends at Triple Threat Sports. You know Triple Threat Sports is the best place in the area to get your NHL jerseys lettered. But did you know, you should know if you listen to this podcast, they're also the best place to go if your team needs jerseys. Whether you're an elite travel high school or college program that needs to outfit hundreds of kids, or if you're a beer and pizza league with 12 players, Triple Threat can put you in pro-quality jerseys at pricing you can afford. Triple Threat Sports can work with you on every aspect of the job. Logo design, fitting, apparel for off-ice, you name it. And you don't have to be a hockey player to wear uniforms from Triple Threat. They can get uniforms and apparel for all sports. Baseball, softball, football, lacrosse, and more. So for more info, call Chris at 708-478-6090. That's 708-478-6090. Or email him for more info at chris at triplethreatsports.com. Triple Threat Sports, if you can wear it, they can make it. We want to thank them for continuing their support of our Patreon pledges. If you want to support the podcast, patreon.com slash madhousepod. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash madhousepod. Um, and I, I feel remiss. I have to mention, uh, those that have listened to this podcast for a long time uh, probably noticed the absence of the Black Oak on our opening credits. They're no longer a sponsor of the show. There's been some changes uh, in management over there, and they've changed their marketing budget a little bit. Um, nothing personal. They're not unhappy. We're not unhappy with them. Just a financial decision on their part. So we want to thank them for, what, a year and a half of support of our podcast and and for some great food and hosting our uh, world cup of hockey event which was really awesome and it, it was a really cool event raised some good money for a charity had a good raffle there and yeah it's a great place so no hard feelings at all i'll still eat there even though they don't think we're the cool <laughs> kids anymore it's all, yeah it's, all good. it's still a great place like we've always said we'll never uh pick a place that sucks just for money uh, the Black Oak is a really, really great place, especially if you're a Hawks fan. So go check them out on 96 and Pulaski. We want to thank them for their support. But I wanted to acknowledge the fact that they're not there. I know people have gotten used to my cadence and my intro, and it had to be kind of jarring to not hear their name in there. So I wanted to acknowledge it. We want to thank them for their, uh, what, 18 months or so of support. So we do appreciate it. But today's show, a little bit different. We haven't done emails in the last, what, three episodes and we have a ton yeah we got a ton and i got a ton of tweets today it's crazy all right so we're going to spend the rest of this show answering your emails and your tweets um and because it's the off season and we need to keep people listening there's a thing in radio called tsl time spent listening it's very important we want you guys to not go away in the off season so today i'm cleaning out my garage and i see a blue rubbermaid container about the size of a shoebox. Like, what's in there? Open it up. Old hockey cards. So from Ooh, now yeah. on, the emailer of the show gets a random hockey card from my collection. <laughs> you could get Alexander Selivanov from the Tampa Bay Lightning. The 1996-97 tops. Who could forget? Wow, he had 31 goals. Damn. Apparently we forgot. We've got a uh, Pat Peak of the Washington Capitals. Who could forget Pat Peak? Let's see, flipping through. Oh, a Keith Primo rookie. See, that's a good one. Yeah. That's the first round draft pick. There you go. It says Keith is a powerful sniper who's been compared to Mario Lemieux. Mm, no. <laughs> that's the scouting report. So stay tuned. If you had the best email today, you will win a hockey card for me. And uh, some other goodies we'll send along your way as well. But uh, hey, AJ, I have a tremendous idea. Uh oh, that Keith Primo uh, rookie card that you have. Yes, I have an idea for who we can give that to. If a listener can suggest a contest 
to get a pair of NHL draft tickets, which Ooh. I purchased. If if you are willing to do that, if these people are willing to come up with ideas for a contest, I will. You will give them that Keith Primo card. That'd be my suggestion. I like that. All right, putting the Keith Primo side card aside, and my little bin here, so I don't forget about it. Okay. That will. He'll be staring at me until we have a winner, which will probably be next week. Awesome. So yeah, send us your emails with suggestions for a contest for someone to win a pair of NHL draft tickets because we've got tickets to give away and it's yes, kind of cool. And the Blackhawks have supplied some tickets for us as well, so we're gonna have a lot of draft tickets to give away. So be looking for that. We will we Mike will Murphy figure out say. multiple ways to give them away. Don't worry. We're we're a creative bunch here at the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. And another thing I want to have a contest for, and this is me and you can sort of brainstorm on. When the NHL season ends, we need an intern for a week. Someone to wrap up our uh, bracket prizes, <laughs> get yep. those all mailed out. So we're going to hire someone to be our intern for a week. We'll pay you, and we'll take you out to eat somewhere. Um, and uh, you could be our intern for a day. You just have to manage our mail. That's it. Yeah, that's all you have to do. <laughs> that's it. And you I mean, we're not going to. We were not going to make you pay to ship the stuff out. Right. We, we want to get like kind of everything like corralled and sorted. Um, Julie DeCaro kind of offered to be our social media maven the other night when we were on her show, but we're not going to impose on Julie. We're going to force one of our listeners to do it instead. Yeah, she's busy enough. She yeah, doesn't need real. anything else. Exactly. <laughs> she's a mom. She has a, you know, she's got tons to do. So we'll, we'll shout give out someone to her to also for having us on. That was a blast, and it was really nice of her to do that. Definitely. So send your resumes to madhousepod at gmail.com, <laughs> and we'll pick out an intern. Are you ready to do some emails and tweets, my friend? I am ready to do both of those things. All right, let's do it. Email the guys at madhousepod at gmail.com or follow them on Twitter at madhousepod. The email segment, for the first time ever, is brought to you by Marishka's Restaurant, 604 Theodore Street in Crest Hill, just west of Route 53, 815-723-9371. Family-owned and operated at the same location since 1933. They just had their 84th birthday last week. So congratulations to the Zdralovich family, third and fourth generations running the place. And you can tell it's a place full of love and deliciousness and garlic butter. Hand-cut products in her own butcher shop, including their steaks, burgers, and the world-famous poor boy sandwich. Go get that. Serving the highest quality steaks, seafood, and chops, and numerous homemade items made fresh in-house, including their onion rings and double-baked potatoes, Icelandic cod, hand-cut on premises, menu available for carry-out as well, a full bar with craft brews, banquet facilities for up to 110 people. So visit marishkas.com or check them out on Facebook at facebook.com slash they're open seven days a week and close only on Christmas, Easter, the 4th of July, and Thanksgiving. James, why don't you get us started with some glorious tweets? <laughs> Twitter user Abazaba, uh, username Random Crap Daily. Who are your top three guys you could trade and get a good return? Also, thanks for the podcast this year, guys. A, you're welcome, Abazaba. And B, hmm. I would say Corey Crawford is a guy who you could trade and you would get a very good return for. Um, I'm trying to think of who else here. Artemi Panarin? Yeah, you could. Hey, are we going to limit this to strictly who is reasonable of them to trade? Guys we think they should trade? How do you want to limit this, Jay? I think it's guys that they could be willing to trade. Like, okay. of course you can get a pant load for Patrick Kane, but it's not going to happen. Right. 
I'll go with Panarin then. That's fine. Okay, Seabrook, Panarin, and I think they would trade Brent Seabrook if they could find a taker. I absolutely think that too. The only problem is I don't think they're going to find somebody who will be willing to take on all of his salary, and then it becomes an issue of how much of it do you want to eat. I guess you could always say too that someone like Nick Schmaltz or someone like Alex DeBrincat could be on the block if they get back a stud defenseman of equal or you know or higher skill in their mind. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's sort of a long shot. I was surprised that Bowman said the issue was offense during the series. Obviously, they weren't scoring. Well, yeah, they only scored three goals. It's not a stretch to say that. Yeah, but the D was putrid too. So uh, a lot of things need fixing. Um, but I think those would be the top candidates to be traded. That's my opinion. Now, my question is, do they trade whomever does not get taken in the expansion draft between Marcus Kruger and Trevor Van Riemsdyk? I would be surprised if either of them are back next year. Okay. That's just my opinion. So not, you think, not, you, not based on anything. I'm just saying. That's just how I feel. What about what about Richard Panic? I honestly, I could see him getting traded for maybe like a second and a third, like a second this year and a third next year kind of thing instead of the two seconds that Andrew Shaw got. What do you think? Yeah, I, you know, he said this weekend he's not sure what his value is. Um, so I wonder if he'd consider coming back for cheap. The problem is, like, what do you have, 22? How many goals do you have? 23? I believe he had 23. Yeah, something like that. Um, he's got some value. He's still young. Restricted free agent, so the Hawks have the right to negotiate with him. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard for them to bring him back at a reasonable contract. And especially with Panarin's bonus kicking in, yep, um, that's going to be tough for them to bring him back. So, boy, that that's a tough loss. You find a guy in the scrap heap, you develop him, he turns into be a really reliable player, and once again, because of the salary cap, you're screwed and you lose him. It just it blows. Did you see that Brian Campbell, by the way, has basically said that he's either going to come back to the Blackhawks or he's going to retire? I wonder if they want him back. I kind of don't think they do. For a million bucks, you wouldn't. I just... wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. No, just to have a body out there for a million bucks. I would rather. I would rather force Quenville into developing a defensive prospect, or at least seeing what guys like Gustav Forsling and Eric Gustafson and Victor Svedberg. I want to see what those guys have. Yeah, but they can still play with with Campbell here because you're going to have to have you. You're probably going to lose Van Riemsdyk. Okay. So you've got two defensemen, three defensemen, really. You're going to need. You got to fill Van Riemsdyk's spot, Oduya's spot, and um, Campbell's spot. So there are three open no, roster well, spots. Well, you're saying if Campbell stays, that you could play young guys with him. Right. So you'd have two spots for young players if Campbell's back. If not, you have. What three, about Michael Rosenball? Don't start. Don't remind me of that. Just another guy getting playing time when Forsling is not. It's annoying. Very annoying. All right. Got an email here from Tiffany Fruey. I think I said that right. Tiffany Fruey. Hey, said, Tiffany Fruey. She tweets me all the time. She's cool. There you go. She said, hey, James and Jay. She doesn't tweet me that much. Oh, wait, maybe she does. I don't know. All right. Do you think the World Cup had anything to do with some of the players not showing the passion they usually do this time of year? I also wanted to say thanks. I've enjoyed listening to the podcast, and hopefully next year it will go longer. I also think you need to do a Cubs podcast this summer. Ha! <laughs> well, we're going to keep doing a Hawks podcast because there's going to be a lot of news this summer. Uh, thank you for the kind words. Um, I mean, anytime you put extra games on guys, it's going to have an effect. I just don't think that 
something that happened in September and October, we can really look at and saying, well, that was a difference in the playoffs. It was so long ago. And the Hawks have won Stanley Cups after um, the Olympics. You know, they've uh, they had bye weeks this year. So I don't know. I mean, of course, you can probably look back and say, was that the greatest idea for a lot of those guys? Probably not. But I don't know if I can really say, had they not played in the World Cup, they would they would have beaten the Predators. I don't I don't see that as a difference. I, I kind of agree with you. I think that the World Cup might it might be that might be reaching just a little bit too far for a reason behind the struggles. I think I think you're kind of on the right track if you want to mention just the sheer amount of minutes in hockey these guys, the core of this team has played. But I think the World Cup might be just a little bit too far in that direction. Okay, you got a tweet for us? I do. It is from Nick Flossi, Flossi, F-L-O-S-I. What's the official show verdict on how to pronounce that name? Nick F. Nick F. Does the back end need to be younger? Yes. If so, should front end. Thanks for the tweet. (laughs) If so, if so, should front end players or prospects be used to acquire younger talent? And he mentioned guys like Jacob Truba is like a potential, like, Basically, I would say like a target level. If you're going to trade for Jacob Truba, it's not, you're not going to trade a veteran. See, like, this is the thing I want people to keep in mind. Teams like Colorado, teams like Winnipeg, teams that have young assets to move are not looking to get older and more expensive. They're looking for younger and less expensive so they can be more competitive for a longer time. So you're not going to give Winnipeg Brent Seabrook for Jacob Truba. Like, that's not a realistic sort of thing to look at. If you're going to make a trade for Truba, uh, a guy like Panarin, a guy like Schmaltz would be someone you could talk about. I like Truba a lot. He had kind of a down year, but he can't. He didn't start camping time, and uh, you know it was a weird season for him. He had some injuries as well. I still think he's a really good player. Um, listen, I'm open to pretty much anything. There, there's really nothing you couldn't talk me into at this point. Um, so I'm game, man. If someone wants to give you Jacob Truba, for one of your uh you have a glut of offensive talent then by all means go for it because i think the t- offensive talent they had excuse me the offensive talent they have is too samey there's a lot of guys who play the same kind of game schmaltz panarin anisimov you know even kane to a certain extent they're not guys that go down the middle they're not guys that win battles they're perimeter players and pat Foley said it during game four there's our temi panarin close to the boards as he's been most of this series you know, you need some guys that can sort of create offense in different ways. So, yeah, you've got all these talented offensive players, but you need some guys that look a little bit different and do some different things. So um, I'd be open to trading one of those guys for, for Truba, but if, if you think you're going to trade Seabrook or someone like that for him, it, it's just not going to happen. Artemi Panarin for Oliver ekman Larson, would you do it? Yes. I would do it in a heartbeat. Because ekman Larson is immediately your second-best defenseman, maybe your top defenseman at yep. this point. Um, I would do that. I would not think twice about that. And I know it makes you more lefty heavy, but at the same time, you still, God, you still have that. All of a sudden, then, you've got three dynamite defensemen again. And then if Brent Seabrook, big if, if he can get back to the level that, or even close to the level that he was at, maybe you got something there. The the only tricky bit with that would be that Ekman Larson makes about, I think, a million or so less than... Panarin does, but this it's the same term, so it would strictly be a matter of money then. 
and and Arizona is not afraid to spend that extra million. They've got cap space up and, the wazoo. And I get that Arizona has plenty of young, talented forwards, but they don't have they don't have an Artemi Panarin on that team. No, that's nope. a guy. Panarin's a guy that people pay to see play. Yeah, and Arizona does not have that yet. Like except, have, except Shane Doan. I'm just imagining him with like <laughs> Max Domi and Anthony Duclair and all those guys, and I'm just like, ooh, that would be fun. Yeah. I'm down with that. I just, you know, it's like I said, man, I know it's kind of a cop out, but I, I will consider pretty much anything you'll throw at me at this point. For we'll real. call that. We'll call this my bold, incredibly stupid prediction for the off season that will never, ever, ever, ever happen. Artemi Panarin for Oliver Ekman Larson. Okay. I like it. Uh, email here from Connor. He says, uh, pretty easy to find blame with the team that performed so badly, but two players you didn't mention on the previous show are Panarin and Anisimov. I was hoping these two would balance out the team for the valid reasons discussed on previous episodes, old age, heart, etc. These two don't fit the team. They're good players, but have been lackluster during playoff time. Anisimov face-off numbers being around 22% in the series were embarrassing. Hoping they prove me wrong next year. Thanks for the awesome podcast. Thanks, Connor. Thanks for the kind words. Thank you, Connor. Um, I'm hesitant to move Anisimov, and here's why. Um, Patrick Kane has had two of his best seasons ever with him at center. Now, of course, I just got done saying I would trade Artemi Panarin, and Panarin's also a huge part of that. But the second-line center has been an enigma for the Blackhawks organization forever. Yep. Forever. And you have an Isimov at reasonable money. Yes, the, uh, the face-off thing was extremely frustrating. Keep in mind, he had just been coming off an injury. He probably was nowhere near 100%, but was just playing because it was the playoffs. Agreed. And those things matter. Even though it wasn't a hand injury or a wrist injury, if you've got a weak leg, that's going to affect your leverage on faceoffs too. So I'm not going to throw away Anisimov just because he had a bad playoff after coming off a pretty severe injury. Um, but that's another guy that's sort of on notice for me. You know, it's another guy that I've got to see something more from him when the playoffs roll around next year uh, if I'm going to commit to him long term. Is it my turn to read a tweet? Sure. Mutt0311, a very frequent tweeter of ours. He is. What happened with the girl at the taco place? I haven't been back. <laughs> I haven't been back in a while. I think I haven't been back since last time I talked about her. Um, but la- just to update, if you missed it, she did again say, actually, this time she said I was hoping it was you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is stronger. Yes. And she also started carrying... Um, Agua de Jamaica, which is like my favorite Mexican drink ever, because I had it on my honeymoon, which is kind of a reminder, like, hey, remember you drank this on your honeymoon when this girl's flirting with you? Um, yeah, but I, yeah, no updates. I'll go back this week and check it out. Check out the lay of the land. See see if she still wants to smother your burrito. He's, <laughs> he's in the running for the James Patrick Calgary Flames car with that question, my friend. Yeah, that... That's the question that everyone was dying to know. I'm sure. All right, got an email here from Kevin Peak, another frequent emailer. Okay, guys, I hope I get this in. That's what she <laughs> kitchen firing has to. There has to be more to this kitchen firing. I'm sure you elaborate. So, what window do you guys see for the Hawks as being left? If it weren't, if it sorry, if it isn't, maybe looking almost shut as slow as they were. I will go by the Panarin contract and say two years. What do you guys think? So basically, since I butchered that horribly, Kevin is asking, how many years are left in the Blackhawks window? Hmm. 
I I would say two is a good starting point. I think three is about where I start to kind of say, all right, you need the next wave to start really coming in, especially on defense. So I I am just going to be lazy or just acknowledge the brilliance of that point and say two years is where I'm starting here. Totally agree. Two years is the absolute window. Uh, unless Alex DeBrincat comes up and is like a an all-star stud. Oh, it, I really hope he is because, God, am I looking forward to seeing what he can do. Yeah. All right. Is it your turn or mine? Your I turn. believe it is my turn now. All right, cool. Uh, my buddy DJ Settle, um, he did ask the basically the same question about the championship window, so we're going to skip him, but I wanted to give him a shout-out because I love him. Um, <laughs> F. Rogers, username Dwarf Toss. <laughs> Will the Blackhawks give young defensemen in the system – guys like Forsling, Polka, and Kempney a shot or go after more guys in their late 30s next season. Uh, is that it? Sorry. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think they're definitely going to. And I they think have to! Yeah, Stan Bowman's going to sort of force it at hand. I do think Gustafson is above Polka in the organization's eye. Do you agree with that? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think that Polka is a guy that could be one of those four a nhl players they talk about those guys in baseball all the time for a player yep yeah i don't see uh i don't see Billy polka contributing much at the nhl level oh you're maybe gonna, you're gonna make the puck and hostile guys angry you know i think they're uh i think they have sort of realized it too oh that's so <laughs> sad i know it's depressing it's kind of like when you realize that table terravine and sucked at hockey <laughs> i hate you Jay is literally starting his car right now to drive down to Bourbonnet to beat me senseless. He doesn't just... suck. He's just not as good as I thought. <laughs> That's different. That is different. All right. Uh, this is actually a tweet, too, but it's a direct message, so I'm, I don't know if you saw it. Uh, Ryan Leidig says, hey, guys, love the show. So with six of the eight core players having a no trade clause, Jalmerson and Crawford are the two that have modified trade clauses. I'd love to see Jalmerson stay, but what do you think of trading Crawford? The playoff exit was not his fault. When he scored three goals in 12 periods, it's not on him, but do you see them thinking about it? In my mind, they can get they could re-sign Crawford and get something for I'm sorry, re-sign Darling and get something for Crawford, um, or did the playoff series hurt his value? No, it, I don't think it hurt his value at all. I think that the big question that you have to ask then is, is a team – willing to fork over $6 million a season for the next three years on a guy that has the kind of mileage that Corey Crawford does. I still think the answer is yes, but Jay, I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Um, I do think they would consider it. And I think there's some, um, there's some other factors to it as well. Uh, Corey is not a guy who, you know, he had the injury at the concert. He was drunk. He was being stupid. Um, he still is a guy that likes to go out, likes to party a little bit. And I know that that can be a little bit of a frustration for them. I've heard that from a couple sources, nothing to worry about, nothing like crazy, nothing that needs treatment or anything like that. But, um, I think that that's something that they have on their radar a little bit. Um, look, Scott Darling has proven himself in every role you've given him. The only thing left is NHL starter. Now that's obviously the biggest hurdle to climb, but when you've seen him play for extended games, he plays pretty well. He'll have a stinker maybe after five or six in a row, right, when he's sort of forced into action when Crawford's hurt. But um, for the most part, Scott Darling has been really, really good. 
Now, he's an unorthodox goalie, and that's the sort of guy you can maybe figure as he ages um, and with that big frame of his, if he loses some of his reaction time, he could be a real big disaster. Right. It could, it could turn into a problem quickly. So it's a tough consideration. Um, I definitely think they'll think about it. I'll just go on record right now and say if Corey Crawford is not the goalie on the ice opening night of 2017, uh, I'd be totally shocked. I, I agree, and there's a simple reason for that. I think the only way you can justify moving Corey Crawford is if you dramatically improve this defense and turn it back into the shot-suppressing like monster that it was back in the like 2010 days. You know what I mean? Where they were limiting teams to like 25 shots a game and just suffocating the crap out of everybody's offense. That, to me, is the only way that you're going to be able to justify moving Corey Crawford at this point because I don't feel comfortable just sticking some goalie behind that defense. I think we've seen over the last couple of years that Corey Crawford is capable of handling that pressure. And I still, even with all the success that he's had, I can't say definitively that Scott Darling can handle that. I, don't, I think he's more than some goalie. You just call him no. some goalie. I think he's more than that. But well, I'm... You, 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 get, you get my point, though. The point is that you have to have a probably a top 10 goalie to deal with this defense the way it's constructed right now. Well, and also, if your window is two years, then you're going to want to give yourself the best chance to win. And uh -huh. I don't think there's any doubt for the next two years that uh, Crawford gives you a better chance to win in Darling full-time. I completely agree. And like I said, if they dramatically improve the defense... In that case, then, maybe I could see it. Okay, fair enough. Next. Darth Blackhawk. Oh, God, that's scary. Outside of a couple shot-type players to crash the net and fly around the ice, do the Hawks really need that much change? Um, truthfully, probably not. I, see, this, yeah, this is a tricky question, man. I, I, I think they need different kind of players. I mentioned a few minutes ago samey a lot of the same kind of player they need some guys and, and maybe john hayden is this guy right maybe he's the power forward with some skill that brian bickle was that dustin bufflin was that andrew shaw was i wouldn't put it past him to have that sort of ability with a full season a full nhl training camp under his belt i could see him i from what i saw he looked like he belonged you know he made the couple goals he scored were really nice you know you could tell there was some some legit skill there Maybe Hayden's a guy, but um, I don't know. You know, it's tough to when they have no money to spend in free agency. It's hard to really speculate like who it could be. But I would like to see them add two physical type, power forward type scorers. They don't have to be thirty goal scorers, forty goal scorers, but they need someone who's going to go up in front of the net and take a beating. They just don't have it. They don't have it right now. I would. I would. I always point this out when somebody brings up big power forward. The Blackhawks drafted Kyle Beach with the 11th overall pick in 2008. Two defensemen that were taken after him in that first round. Eric Carlson and John Carlson. That could have solved some issues if they yeah. had managed to snag one of those guys. You can do that with every team and every GM ever. I just think that Eric Carlson, it's like it's close enough to the pick where I think it's justified to bring it up. It was only five. It was only four picks later. It's so. worth bringing up, but I, you know, I think it's and that was a Dale Talon pick, um, yeah. but you know he's a uh, he's got among men, um, you know. Kyle Beach, man, what the Akeem, heck? How about Akeem Alou? Ah, uh, 
Was he even? A, was he a first round pick? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think he was either. I'm just. I only pointed out because Kyle Beach was the 11th pick in the draft. So. Yeah. All right. You're right. Uh, email here from Michael Lev, aka ah, Joshua yes, and Tebow. Is, I, I was making fun of him for uh, sending us an email, and I was threatening to read his first, and I didn't do it because we're not reading the email. So, sorry, Michael Lev. We finally got to your email. Wow. Uh, he has. He also asked about Crawford, but uh, so, since we already answered that, wants to know our picks for the second round. Not to try to remember what I picked last night. Um, I picked Nashville. I picked Anaheim. I picked the Rangers, and I picked the Capitals. Okay. I have Nashville, Edmonton, Rangers, Penguins. Okay. So we're the same on two of them and different on two of them. You want to make, you want to make a wager on that um, Anaheim-Edmonton series or that Washington-Pittsburgh series? Nah. nah. I don't really feel like it either. But <laughs> I'll tell you what. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I will make a wager on this. If one of us gets both of those rights – and the other one gets both of them wrong, the loser has to pay for a round of golf at Shamrock this summer. Uh, Sure, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I think I'll that go so- with that. That sounds fair, and then we can go to B-dubs and celebrate afterward. The world's best B-dubs. I'm Agreed. In. Got a tweet there, Pally? I do have one. I, I have one more, and it's kind of along the lines of what we've already talked about with Corey Crawford, but specifically, go Blackhawks, let's go Hawks, 88-19 wants to know, what would the return look like? He's thinking nothing less than a top, a young top four right-handed defenseman. This for who? I'm sorry. Corey Crawford. I think if you're trading Crawford, you're trading him for picks. I, and cap you really space. think so? I think you're getting $6 million of cap space. And you can go sign a four defenseman for $3 million and use the other three to fill out your roster a little bit. Sign Brent Burns to a $2 million deal. Oh, wait, he already signed. Sure, yeah, that's going to work. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. I almost said the other day that Michael Rosenwald might play, forgetting that he had broken his face. So I'm just on a roll right now. That happens. It's been a long season, man, and a <laughs> shitty end to it. All right, got an email here from Andrew Herbs. He says, how much of this decline is because Brandon Saad and Hosa are no longer forces on his team? It seems to me that their impact may have been underappreciated at the time. The natural next question is then, if so, is it possible to get that level of top-line talent back given their precarious salary cap situation? Uh, thanks, Andrew. As always, uh, not without a trade. They're not going to be able to bring back someone like Saad, um, you know, unless they can free up the money to bring back a guy like Saad. Trade Artemi um, Panarin for him. I, I would do it. I, I know you would do it. I wouldn't. You wouldn't trade Panarin for Saad? Not for four, what is it, four more years of his contract? No way, man. Well, what's the difference in the contract? What does Saad <laughs> make, six? I think Saad makes six, but it's the term, man, and you're... You're getting... Brandon Saad's what, like 15 years old? It still, it doesn't matter. You've got Duncan Keith under contract for another like six years. You've got Marion Hosts under contract for four more years. You're going to need that money at some point. I I think in four years, Brandon Saad has $6 million as a deal. I don't think that that makes the team demonstrably better to trade Artemi Panarin for Brandon Saad. There, it gives, said it. It gives them similar numbers scored in a different way. And I think when the playoffs come, a guy like Brandon Saad is more valuable than Artemi Panarin. I I don't agree with that. I, I think that Artemi Panarin having – he looked decent enough to me last postseason. Everybody on the team looked like absolute crap this postseason, so I'm not going to read too much into the numbers from this year. So I, 
I still don't. I don't look at Artemi Panarin and go, "Well, that's kind of a lost cause at this point." I don't think it is either. But we're talking about Brandon Saad, who's an all-star player. Artemi it's not like Panarin's he's some guy. All-star level player. He was top ten in scoring. Okay, but we've seen their performance level in the playoffs, and he, Panarin has not been there. Uh, how did Brandon Saad do against the Penguins? I wasn't tracking his stats this year. Yeah, that's because he basically did nothing to help them avoid getting eliminated in five games. I don't know, man. I, I just think you're going to get more from a guy like Saad when the playoffs come. I... He's got a proven track record. Um, you know, and if he's back with Taves, that also rejuvenates that top line. It's I... a no-brainer to me. And he... again, I, I don't want to. I don't want this to be me begging on Panarin because it's not how I feel. I I like Panarin. I do. I just think for the money he's being paid, and I've been talking about this for, what, five months now. With the money he's being paid, you've got to consider, can he score in a different way? Can he contribute in the playoffs? And so far, you're 0 for 2 on those questions. Brandon Saad had one goal against the Penguins in five games. How many did Panarin have? Zero. Okay. How many shots on goal did Panarin have? How many goals did Patrick Kane score in that series? One. How many did Jonathan Tave score in that series? One. Just saying. It's not like there was some guy okay. who but was Kane scoring and, at will Kane against and the Predators. Kane and have and... Conn Smythe trophies. Yeah? <laughs> they, they've proven it in the playoffs before. I've not seen Our anything. Our has been on two not as good teams as the ones that won Stanley Cups with the Blackhawks. We've been 11, talking about that all season. He's played 11 playoff games, and I don't recall one. Aside from he had a little burst up the middle where he shot the puck wide. In game four. That was the only time I noticed him in the entire Brandon series. Brandon had ten shots on goal the entire series against Pittsburgh. How many ten. did Panarin have? That's a Jonathan Taves-level production of just not being very good. How many shots did Panarin have in, in the four games against the Predators? I'm looking it up right now. Statman. I would almost Stat guarantee boy. you it's going to be more than ten. Mm. They have that many one-timer attempts? ha <laughs> ha. That was a diss, and I liked it. I don't remember that. You had 11! I okay. win! Yeah, great. You win. <laughs> why don't you check out the heat map and see where those shots came from? Oh, guess from. what? Step guess man. what? Panarin also had an assist, so he only Ooh. had two fewer points than Brandon Saad, and he was better at plus minus, which I know means nothing. Don't assail me. I'm just joking with that. Only two fewer points in four games. Okay. <laughs> hey, Saad played two more games, okay? Okay, you win. I'll, I'll, I'll let you win, I guess, but... I, I'm curious what the uh, – we should just make a poll. We, should, we need to do that more. Yeah. I'm going to do it right now. Do it. There, you fill some time. Read some emails or something. Read a tweet. <laughs> I am completely out of tweets, so now I'm going to do some random – I'm out of emails here. too, so oh, I'm posting wow. this right now as we speak. Okay. This, is, this, say, is, this segment of the show is called James Kills Time, and it's brought to you by Cholula Hot Sauce. <laughs> when you need something to fill your taste buds with flavor, just like we're filling time right now – Get Cholula Hot Sauce. You won't be sorry, and you'll thank us, your pals at the Chicago Hockey Podcast. That was perfect. I just posted it. It's filled. It's posted. And we will now await the results of our of our question. So far, it's tied 0-0. Zero, zero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I mean, look, I, I, I want to be clear. I want to be clear here. We're all pissed off. We're all annoyed about how this how this series went. Um, by no means do I think Artemi Panarin sucks. By no means do I think the Hawks should quote unquote get rid of him. But if the opportunity arises to bring someone of someone in of equal talent of a sort of different variety of player, I think you had to consider it. That's all. Like I've said all podcast long, 
The Hawks have too many of the same guy. They need someone to provide a different look. Uh, I hope it's John Hayden. I hope they find someone else to do it too. But for now, there's too many perimeter guys that are waiting for you know the offense to come instead of creating it themselves. That's all. That's all that, I'm saying. That, that I can agree with. I can agree with that. I'm I'm not too you know egotistical to you know not concede something like that because I definitely think that's true. Michael Lev is the first one to respond. He says, "Sod." I feel like he, one, made Taze better player, and Kane is okay on his own with others, and two, I think Saad could do more on his own. The votes are 50-50 right now. That's not shocking to me. No. So check out at uh, MadhousePod on Twitter, obviously, to follow along with these poll results, and we'll update it next week. All right, do we have a winner of the hockey card? Have you chosen? Who had the finest question of the day? Ooh, that's tough, man. There were some really good ones. They um, were good. I, I think the... I kind of like I liked the question setting the championship window at two years because I think that I think that absolutely nailed it for me like that that's such a good time frame it's so accurate all right so that was Kevin Peak that was the email I butchered where he basically was saying how long is the Hawks window so Kevin Peak I'm gonna reach into my bag of hockey cards here hang on I'm gonna shuffle through I'm gonna pull one out with my eyes closed so to speak. Uh. Kevin Peake is the winner. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, what did Kevin Peake get? <laughs> of a 1996 Brant Myers card. <laughs> yes! <laughs> you may remember Brant Myers' 1994-95 season with the Tampa Bay Lightning, where he scored 15 goals. I'm sorry. He played 15 games. <laughs> two goals, no assists, and 81 penalty minutes. Congratulations, yes! Kevin Peake. You're the proud owner of a Brant Myers upper deck hockey card. Please email your address to madhousepod at gmail.com and we'll get this expedited out to you as quickly as possible. I like this bit. By the way, you're you're currently winning this poll. It's 61% sod with 28 votes cast. I'm shocked. I'm not shocked. Yeah. I You know what? Just because I'm not popular doesn't mean I'm not right. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I like that. You stand by your beliefs. You are strong-willed, and I appreciate that about you. And you also know that I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong. I just don't feel yeah, like you, it. You will next week. It's okay. <laughs> All right. There are actual good cards in here, too. I just saw Yarmir Yager. I mentioned the Keith Primo rookie card, which is going to be there for the person that comes up with our best way to give away draft tickets. Um, so, yeah, stay tuned. We'll be back. What? I think next week we'll do another one. Uh, why don't we keep doing it every week throughout the playoffs? Okay. And then when the playoffs end, we'll uh, we'll go to the other, every other week format unless news otherwise dictates. Sound Sounds good? good? Sounds good to me, pal. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. For my partner, James Neveau, I'm Jay Zawoski. It has been brought to you by Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris at 708-478-6090 and Mariska's in Crest Hill. Family owned and operated since 1933. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you later in the week. And again, vote on our poll. Go to at MadhousePod on Twitter. Who would you rather have, Brandon Saad or Artemi Panarin? Vote early. Vote often. It's the Chicago way. We appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you next week. Look in your home. Look in your office. Look in your home office. Everywhere you turn, there's so much smart. At Capella University, we think education should be smart, too. 
Our game-changing FlexPath format puts you in control of your master's degree, so you can learn how, when, and where you want. Smart, huh? Yeah, we think so, too. So if you want to take the next step in your career, make Capella your first step. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter. If you look around, you'll see the world can be pretty smart. Okay, very smart. At Capella University, we think education should be smart, too. That's why we're reshaping online learning with our FlexPath format. You can set your own deadlines, take classes at your own pace, even leverage your previous experience to move faster. So when it comes to earning your bachelor's degree, you know what kind of choice to make. A smart one. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter.